people will appear. Okay, cool. Awesome. So welcome everybody, welcome tonight. My name is Jay Leibold. For those of you who don't know me, I am an intern here at the UNT BSM. Yeah. And so thank you guys for being here. Um, it's very warm in here. I don't know if that's just me. It may just be me. It's very warm in here. Uh, so if I start sweating, it's probably because I'm more nervous than hot, but that also might be a reason as well. Uh, so tonight we're going to continue with the first John. We're going through this letter that the, the disciple John wrote. Um, if you haven't been here at all, um, I'm not going to do much of a recap tonight. But in your small groups, ask, what is this letter about? Like, can you give me a recap? And I'll kind of do that a little bit as we go through tonight. Um, but I'm not going to give you any background on who John was and, and why he wrote this letter. Um, but that will come up in the, and as we're talking tonight. And so tonight we're actually going to be in 1 John 2.28. We're going to finish the end of chapter 2. And we're going to go all the way through chapter 3. We're covering a lot tonight. Tonight, actually, I might speak for a very short amount of time. We'll see. Uh, so that in small groups, you guys can just flesh all of this out. Because there is so much here. There's so much in this text that we're going to read tonight. Um, you could spend weeks just studying this text alone. Um, but we're going to try to finish this whole book by the end of the semester. So you guys can uh, mark another book off having read and out of the Bible. Or if you haven't read this before, um, we will finish it. And so I wanted to pray before we got started again um, and come before the Lord once more. And so, God, I pray that you speak tonight. God, help us to understand who you are. Help us to understand more about you and how we can relate to you and how you have called us to be. How you have orchestrated the world to be in a certain way. Um, Father God, please help us understand this text. Help us understand who you are. You have revealed yourself to us. Through your word, through this. And so I pray that we can understand it tonight. That if we have questions, we can ask. If we have um, concerns, that we can seek out those concerns and, and ask those questions about you. But I pray tonight that you should reveal yourself to us. Show us who you are. Help us understand you more fully. And so I pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. So does anybody remember those two questions that Chase... Uh, gave us at the very first week we had, the intro he gave, he said two questions that this letter will answer. Okay, what's a Christian and who is Jesus? Nice. Cool. And so these two questions, I've really been dwelling and really thinking about these questions, uh, that this is why John wrote this letter, was to answer these questions, was to tell the church, tell the other Christians that he was writing to that, no, the Jesus that you have learned about and who you have been told about is true and that this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's why he wrote this letter, was to affirm them in where they were already at and not to be swayed by false gospels, which is kind of what we talked about last week. But I really began to think about these questions. These questions still apply today. That's why we can read this and this still applies to us today because these two questions are being asked even more in our culture now than maybe ever before. But who is Jesus? Every religion, every major religion in the world is adding Jesus into their 
worldview because they're trying to answer this question. Jesus is that big a deal. But every other major world religion is trying to plug him into their belief because they realize how big a deal this man was 2,000 years ago. And then even today, people are still asking, what does it look like to then follow that Jesus? What does it look like to be a Christian? And so even in our culture, our culture is doing a 180, swinging from when our grandparents were growing up, very conservative, very Christian nation. It was beneficial to call yourself a Christian even if you weren't, to now where I would say it's not beneficial in any way to claim to be a Christian. And that's becoming worse and worse literally every single day. And so that's, these questions still apply today. We, people are trying to define what a Christian is today. People are trying to define in our culture what a Christian looks like. Is it somebody who eats at Chick-fil-A? Is it somebody who goes to church on Sunday who reads their Bible? Is it somebody who is a conservative Republican? Is it somebody who wears a cross necklace, has a tattoo of the cross or of the fish? Or maybe Jesus' face on their back. I don't know. It could be anything. <laughs> it could be anything. But our culture is trying to define that. And our culture is beginning to define a Christian as a bigot, as somebody who's a fool, who's somebody who is, doesn't know what they're talking about, who is outdated and not up with the time. And even within the church, I think we're still trying to define what is a Christian. Even within the church, a lot of our church is swaying and going with culture, becoming very liberal and changing uh, what the Bible actually says a Christian is to fit their worldview, to fit how the culture is changing. So even today within the church, we are seeing the church as a whole, we're seeing a swing to being very, very liberal. And so that's why I love that John wrote this letter. And that's how this letter still applies today. Because everybody's asking these questions. Who is Jesus? And what does it look like to follow him? And these answers, these answers are found in here. And we're going to read tonight really what it looks like to follow Jesus. So if anybody's wondering whether you're a Christian or not, what does it actually look like to be a Christian? We're going to read that tonight. Those, that answer is going to be had tonight. Um, and it'll just continue on with what we've been learning about. And so I could talk about that all night. Uh, but let's go ahead and dive on into 1 John Chapter 2, and I'm going to break this up into bits. I normally like to just read the whole thing, but there's so much here that we're going to break this up into sections. And so we're going to go chapter 2, 1 John, it's towards the end of the Bible. Does everybody have a Bible? We good on that? Okay, cool. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. We're going to read 28 through chapter 3, 3, and then we're going to pause, okay? And so in verse 28, it says, And now, little children, abide in him. Abide in Jesus, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that in it, it, in is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. In verse 3, And everyone who thus hopes in him 
purifies himself as he is pure. So one thing I want to say, tonight's reading, there's a lot of just words. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot here. And I'm not going to, like I said, cover literally everything. Because again, we could, we, could, we could just study that, those, those however many verses just tonight for 30 minutes. We got too much to cover. And so again, if you have any questions, please ask in small group. Please ask, please dive into this, because there's a lot there. But one of the first things he says is, so what does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, I think John gives us right here in, in chapter 3, verse 1. We could even go the verse before, uh, chapter 2, 29. If you know that he is righteous, being he being Jesus is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. So right there he's saying Christians are children of God. He's saying these are people who have been brought in to have fellowship with God. The very first week we went over, um, I talked about chapter 1, about being invited into fellowship with the living God. Being invited into fellowship because of what Jesus has done. Not because we deserve it, not because we've done anything. That we were created to be in community with Him, but because of our sin, we've been separated from Him. And in that intro week, Chase did the bridge illustration that really explained visually what this looks like. And in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That the God we worship is a God of love. That He is willing to do everything for us. And that's why the... Uh, and so he says that we should be called children of God and so we are. He has invited us into being a child of God. And so this idea of child of God, I want you guys to talk about it in your small group. But it is like... We have been adopted as sons and daughters into God's kingdom, into God's family. And so let's continue on. Um, beloved, we are God's children now. This is verse 2. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but what we know when he appears, we shall be like him. We shall be, we sh because we shall see him as he is in Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so here he's saying, like, well, he's called us to be, we will be like him. Well, what does it mean to be like Christ? Well, right here, he is pure. And so tonight's theme is this idea of purity. So do we pursue purity? Is that a thing in our lives? What does that even mean? What does that even mean to be pure? Because that's what it looks like. That's what he's, we've call, been called to be, is like Christ, and Christ is pure. So this word purity literally means um, being pure inside and out. It's not just an outward appearance. It's not just what's on the outside. It's not just being about clean cut and looking good on the outside, but it's also about what's on the inside. It means being clean, pure from every fault, uncontaminated. <coughs> But still, though, how are we to pursue purity? What does that even mean for us? If we're to be a child of God and to be a child of God means that we are made pure, what does that mean? What does that look like for us? Luckily, John answers that, so let's keep going. Verse 4. I'm going to read 4 through 10. <clears throat> Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know what you know that he appeared to take away sins in him there is no sin 
No one who abides in him keeps on sitting. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's, uh, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. In verse 10, right here. By this it, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. So right here, this is what it looks like. Who is a follower of Christ? Who are children of God? Boom, right here. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And so I want to jump back up here. He says this in verse 29 of chapter 2, and then he gets into this in verse 4, this idea of practicing. So in verse 24, he says, everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And in verse 4 of chapter 3, he says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And so I wanted to sit on this idea of like, what is this? He uses this word practicing. And so I think so often we think as Christians that uh, we come and follow God and then everything, um, we're just free to do whatever we want. Or we're free to do whatever we please, right? But this idea of practice, it literally means to produce, to make, to create, to bear, to fashion or construct together. And so this is a very active thing. This idea of practicing is a very active in the process, in the making of doing something. And so who here has ever practiced something? So pretty much everybody, I think. Um, so uh, here's a question. Uh, so I played an instrument when I was in sixth grade. <laughs> Can anybody guess what that instrument was? I don't think I don't think anybody picked it. Okay, it's okay. Okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll, I'll answer your question. Okay, 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 okay. So when I was in sixth grade, my school made us all pick an instrument. I don't know if your sixth grade elementary school made you do that or not. They made us all, and so I was like. If I have to pick one, I'm going to pick one I've never seen before. I'm going to pick one that it seems like nobody else ever plays. And so little sixth grade Jay was like, I'm going to pick that cello, and I'm going to play that cello. <laughs> so for my entire sixth grade year, I played the cello. I probably practiced a total of four times that entire year. <laughs> I picked it, and I was like, this looks fun. Who plays this instrument? I've never even seen it. I don't even know if I know how to spell the word cello. And so uh, I picked it, played it. I don't know if my teacher was just really nice and passed me or if I was actually any good, but I never practiced at all. And I gave up on the cello, have never played it ever again. Aww. Yeah, I know. I kind of wish I had continued with it. Um, but if I was to pick up a cello right now, and you were to give me one, I would probably have no idea how to play it, even though I played it for a year. I practiced probably, like I said, four, maybe five times total. And so if I was to pick it up today, I would have no idea how to play this cello. Not at all. 
And so why would I be surprised if I never practice the cello that I still can't play, that I can't play it today? Does that make sense? Why should I be surprised if, you were to, if somebody was to hand me a cello and I try to sit down and play it, that I have no idea how to play it anymore? I can't even tell you what notes each string is, how it's tuned, because I have no idea anymore. So when it comes to this, he's talking about this idea of practicing righteousness versus practicing sin. Why are we surprised then when we fall into sin when that's what we've, we're constantly surrounding ourselves with? We're constantly practicing, practicing sin. We are constantly filling our life with it, keeping it around us. That's what we watch. That's what we listen to. Why are we then surprised when we fall into temptation? Because that's what we're practicing. You know, I have a, a good friend of mine... He came up to me about a year ago, and he's like, I just haven't felt the Lord in a really long time. Like, I've been falling into sin. I've been falling into all this temptation, and I just don't know what to do. And I'm depressed, and I'm scared, and I don't really know what to do anymore. Uh, is God even real? And I asked him, well, when was the last time you actually um, went to church? And he said, oh, I haven't been to church in like two years. It's like, okay, when was the last time you prayed in like... Six months. When was the last time you were even around Christian community in any way? He says, probably six months as well. And I was like, well, then why are you surprised that you, why are you surprised? Why are you surprised you're falling into sin? And I think that directly applies to everyone in this room. I think so often we're so surprised that when we fill our minds, when we fill our hearts with the things of the world, which is kind of what we talked about two weeks ago, why we are surprised that we fall. That shouldn't surprise literally any of us. And so that's what he's talking about here. Isn't that practicing righteousness is what saves us, but because of what Jesus has done, we do that. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we want to pursue God. We want to follow God. We want to practice righteousness. We want to spend time in communion. We want to go to church. We want to read our Bible. We want to pray. We want to be in Christian community. And so going on from here, um, this idea of lawlessness, he says, verse 4, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And this literally means lawlessness, violate, a violation of God's law. Which is why we can see that Jesus was pure, because if Jesus was God, God wouldn't violate any of his own laws. So we've been called to follow this man. And so let's go back to verse 9 here. We're running out of time. Verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and those who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is it the one who does not love his brother. And so in small groups, I want you guys to really dig into, like, what does this look like to practice righteousness? What does it look like to fight sin? What does it look like to do that? And so going on, that he directly goes into this next section, which may be one of the most famous sections of this little letter, is this love one another. But there's a reason that this follows this section. Because if we actually don't know God, if we actually aren't pursuing purity, if we aren't practicing righteousness, then how can we truly love our brother and sister? How can we truly love someone else? 
Because a lot of times the sin in our life not only affects us, but everyone around us. And so sin is serious. And so let's continue um, into the next little section here. So I'm going to read 11, starting verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not, abide in, whoever does not love abides in death. And verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so he starts off this section saying that you have already heard this. This has already been spoken to you, and he's reminding them that you have heard this from the beginning, that we should love one another. This goes back to the Old Testament. This goes back from the very beginning. This story right here, for those of you who don't know, this story of Cain murdering his brother, <coughs> this goes back to Gen the very, very beginning of Genesis. Like the beginning of mankind. That these two brothers, one was righteous and one was not. One was practicing righteousness and one was practicing lawlessness. And the one who was righteous was hated by the one who was of the world. And so that brother killed his other brother out of hatred and out of sin. And so this again is like, why are we surprised that the world hates us as Christians? That's a whole other topic. But again, like, are we... Loving each other, or are we hating each other? Because everyone who hates his brother, verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so let's go, verse 16, by this we know love. Okay, so this is right here, he's saying, this is, this is, by this we know love. This is what we know love to be. That he laid his life down for us. That Jesus laid his life down for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love the world, love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And so this should be evident in our lives. He's saying here that we shouldn't just love in word and talk what we say, how we say it. But it should be so evident by the way we act, the way we love, the way we show this love out. And that the reason we love as Christians, love the world, love others, love people in this room, in our community, is because of our love for God. Because of what God did for us, because of who He is. We love others because we love God. And I'll be honest, if I didn't know God, if I didn't love God... I would have no reason to love anybody else. Why would I care about anybody else? Honestly. And if I didn't know God, the only reason I would love anybody else was to get something out of it. Right? And that's what he's saying here is that we should be loving everyone because of what Christ has done for us. Because of our love for God. Verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods, I love that saying, not your goods, not the goods that you own, but the, world, the world's goods, things of the world, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Saying that the things that you own, the things that you have, aren't even yours to begin with, 
So why should it matter if you serve and give it to others? In verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And let's read the end of this, verse 19 through the 24. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and, a, and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because he kept his commandments, because we kept his commandments and do what pleases him. And right here, these last two verses, I think, are capstone for this entire section right here. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. And so this whole book is kind of him, uh, he's kind of got a diagnostic test. Do we actually love God, and do we actually love others? Because if we don't love God, then we're not a Christian. And if we don't love others, then we're not a Christian. And so verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And so... I love this because he's saying whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. Whoever keeps the commandments of God, so that's saying whoever obeys God is somebody who is following God. And we've kind of talked about this semester, but why do we follow God? Why do we obey God? You know, going back to this idea of fighting sin and practicing righteousness, that the reason we have the law, the reason that God commands us to live a certain way isn't to take away from us isn't to take away maybe fun or things we're missing out on, but to lead us into life, lead us into things that are actually good for us and good for those around us. And so I wanted to end um, looking back at verse 5 in chapter 3. Verse 5 says, you know that he appeared, this is Jesus, you know that Jesus appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And so for those of you here tonight who maybe are in deep sin, and so the sin that they're talking about here isn't sin that has been done against you, it is sin that you have done yourself. So this is anything habitual sin, sins that keep coming up. If you are anywhere... In that, if you feel trapped, if you feel isolated, if you feel lonely, if you feel like this sin is too much for me to bear, I feel shame and guilt because of what I have done. This verse may be the most um, beautiful verse uh, in this whole section. It says, you know that he appeared to take away sins. That he came to take that all away. He came to remove all that. He came to destroy sin. And so Jesus took away sin not only so that you can be forgiven. Because I think that's a big thing. We think Jesus came to take away so that we could be forgiven. But also so that it might, it might cease to exercise its tyrannical bondage on us. He came not only to forgive us but to free us from sin. 
And I love Romans 6, 1 and 2. I'll just read Romans, and you guys don't have to flip there, but uh, Romans 6, 1 through 4 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can he, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were uh, baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So wherever you're at tonight, whatever is holding you down, whatever sin is weighing on your heart, just know that that sin has already been taken care of. That sin has already been wiped clean if you are in Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, like I said a couple weeks ago, God looks at you and says, this is my beloved son or daughter with whom I am well pleased. And that's amazing. And so the question is, are you actually fighting sin? Are you actually waging war against sin? Are you actually taking it into account? Are you actually going at it, uh, fighting it? Or are you just surrounding yourself with it? Are you practicing sin? Are you letting it just be all around you? Are, is that what you're filling your mind with? I could list dozens of TV shows that are popular right now um, that I could sit down and have a conversation and explain to any of you why you probably shouldn't be watching that TV show. Music. I used to be uh, big into music, and I have pretty much cut out a lot of music because, um, to me, that is practicing sin. That's a stumbling block for me. And so I don't know where you're at or what's going on, but I pray that tonight you guys can talk about that in small group. If not, um, that's the reason the BSM exists is to provide community and discipleship on the college campus and to get you plugged into a church, which may be the most important thing that you could do in college. And so let me pray, and then we will be dismissed to our small groups. Father God, I pray tonight um, that your word is convicting, that it is strong, that it is powerful, um, but that you are good and gracious and um, we don't d deserve any of this. Honestly, to some degree, this doesn't even make sense why you would do this, but this just shows that you truly are a loving God. This just shows that you truly want us to be with you. So I pray tonight that as we go, that we are actually fighting sin. That we are actually practicing righteousness. And that if we don't understand what that means, that we ask our group and ask those around us, how do I practice righteousness? How do I fight sin? What do I do? Help me. That 1 John 1.7 talks about fellowship with one another and being cleansed by Jesus. So I pray that as we go to our small groups that we can um, be open and honest and, and, and really love one another well, serve one another well in whatever capacity that looks like. And really begin to think about what it does look like to follow God, to love God, and to love others. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.